So I'm so excited to welcome uh, today's guest, um, Elisa Hauser, uh, who is a former Broadway performer, and she's an Emmy-nominated lyricist. That we haven't had—I don't think we've had any Emmy-nominated people on on uh, Carefully Taught yet. But she was in um, Thoroughly Modern Millie on Broadway. She was in Greece on Broadway. She was one of the silly girls in uh, in the Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, and now she is an assistant professor of music theater at Florida State, and she is the incoming uh, president, that's right, president, people, of the Musical Theater Educators Alliance. We've got presidencies on here, um, both outgoing and incoming. So excited to have her on the podcast. There's so many things to talk about between MTEA, the upcoming conference, the New Works thing, the, the Florida State thing. I, I, Elisa, thank you so much for carving out time to talk to us today, Carefully Taught. Well, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. And I'm exhausted listening to everything I've done <laughs> and about to do. Let's start with, um, just to give it all a little bit of context, Maddie talked about your, your performance career. Um, interested in your um, uh, how you look back at that time now and how you put that in context to what you're doing today. I mean, it's kind of the foundation of, of everything I've done and will do. I mean, it's, it was my dream as a kid um, that I pursued, that I, I went to uh, college to study at Cincinnati Conservatory, um, got my BFA, same place that Maddie did, um, you know, went to New York, lived the dream, was super lucky and had this wonderful career in New York City. And then life takes you other places and in other directions that I didn't originally anticipate. And yet it's it's always part of me. I mean, with every student that I teach um, and anything I look look for influencing in this industry, it's, you know, it's where I learned um, all the context for what we do as musical theater educators. I think it, it's something I value so much, my experiences in the profession. Um, because you know, we we know in in academia, I mean, it's such a heady a heady space to be in, right? And how we teach and the theories and what's on paper and how we teach the craft. And yet, unlike so many other things in academia, you have to live it and you have to do it to really fully understand it. So I think when um, when you have that added background, it it can only help but influence. Um, it's it's with me, and it's it's a huge part of sort of my my friend network. Um, uh, it's where I met my husband. Um, you know, I had I had my kids, and then I went back to Beauty and the Beast for a while. So it's it's really just it's it's been a huge part of me and what I do. What was the transition like for you when? Um, so you've got these Broadway credits. You, you're doing, I mean, original cast. I mean, that's so exciting. There's like a whole nother conversation. But like when, when you made the decision to shift into teaching, how how did you make that decision? And and what was the process of getting from Broadway to a professor position like for you? 
That's a great question. Um, yes. So first of all, my parents are in higher education. My, um, my mother and my stepfather are philosophy professors. And so I just, my uncle is, was a professor. So I sort of grew up in that world, never in a million years thought I would be a professor. Um, so when I transitioned into having a family and having children, um, you know, other things became important to me, being home nights and weekends, et cetera. And so yet I still wanted to have a career. So I began teaching and I began teaching. We, at the time we lived in Vermont. Um, after we moved outside of New York City, we moved to Brattleboro, Vermont. And I, I, I just, I tried to get my hands on anything I could do teaching. So I was teaching voice lessons and I was directing at a middle school and I was part of this wonderful New England youth theater. I was teaching there and just really getting lots and lots of experience. And along the way discovering, boy, I love this, right? I have such a joy for this. I really have to listen to this. Um, and then it got to a point where my children went, were in school and suddenly I, I really wanted to not go and teach from 3 p.m. until 10 p.m., right? Which is when you're not teaching in a university, most of the K through 12 education is after school and in the evenings. So I really had to sit down and think, okay, how do I do this? So I can still have the family life I want. Because one thing I've discovered that's really important along my whole trajectory has been work-life balance. And the minute I really said to myself, this is important to me and to my life, I was able to slowly start to make changes. And I am the kind of person where I feel like if you put something out there into the world that you really want, it will listen, right? Um, so, so I started asking people, hey, can I get a job in higher ed? You know, at the time I had a bachelor's degree um, and not a master's degree. And so I've sort of got some mixed messages, some saying, sure, yes depends. Some saying, no, you have to have a, a master's degree, et cetera. And I said, well, I'm going to try. And um, I got an adjunct position at Westfield State. And so that was my first, I was commuting to Westfield State from Vermont. It was great first year in academia, kind of getting my feet wet. At that point, I said, okay, let me keep going. And so then I started applying for some other positions, some full-time positions. And I started to get a few nibbles, even with the bachelor's degree, because in our profession, professional experience can go a long way, of course, depending on the institution. Um, I was then, I got, I then got the position at Michigan State and um, was there for five years. And while I was there, I got my master's degree, not from Michigan State, but um, I did an online program, working full-time, raising my family. I'm just that kind of a person that's that's driven and will get up at five in the morning to, to make things happen. And, uh, and so I got my master's degree in um, voice pedagogy from Ryder Westminster. And um, then this position came up and uh, at Florida State, where I am now, and this is really kind of a dream job for me. Um, and so it wasn't a direct path and it was one I kind of had to figure out. And, um, uh, but that, that's my road, that's my road in. I actually love that um, because when people ask, oh, like, how did you get to your job or how did you get to where you are? It's like, no one has the same story. We all came from, from such different paths. Um, and you also want to give, um, uh, great advice to somebody who's interested and also you're like but there's no real one way to get there there's no 
there there is no one way. So I, I love that story. Um, can you talk a little bit about Florida State University and like the programs that you offer, the program that you you are in charge of, and and sort of what that vibe is at your school? Yes, um, I love it here. I love the program. It's it's uh, very unique. I think I'm I'm not sure how many are like us, but we have. Um, you can either get a BM, a Bachelor of Music, um, from the College of Music in music theater, or you can get a BFA from the School of Theater. So they are one program and it's one cohort of students, but those students can choose kind of where their home base is. The curriculum is largely the same with some differences, obviously. So anyone in the College of Music that's getting a BM degree has to take a certain amount of the core College of Music classes. So those are different from the BFAs who have to take, they, more, they have to take more technical theater, they have to take history of theater where the BMs take um, uh, music history. Um, there's a lot more theory, music theory on the BM side, things like that. But largely the acting, singing, dancing is all the same core. So I'm the program director on the music side in the College of Music. And then Kate Gellibart is our program director in the School of Theater. But again, it's, it's one program. That is so cool. I've never heard of anything like that before. Um, you mentioned a moment ago the importance of work-life balance to you. Yet you're still a doer, by the way. Like you said, you're exhausted just listening to your resume. <laughs> I'm curious, um, with that being something that you value, how do you teach your students? Uh, how do you instill that in, in your students in, in when you're a teacher? Sure. Um, I mean, I think it's, I'm lucky in that I teach applied lessons. That's the core of my job. I teach all the juniors and seniors their private voice lessons. So I get to have that one-on-one -on -one time with the upperclassmen every week. And so I hear when they come in and they're exhausted and I can say, you know, do you need to do all these extra things? Can you say no to this project that you're being offered? You know, do you have to do that? When's the time, right? So without sort of stepping over the boundaries, because that's another thing that's very important to me, especially in the classroom, um, is having boundaries. But I think that life advice is part of our um, job as educators. I'm not saying life advice, I take that back, but sort of the professional career advice, um, which is how do you manage your time in a profession that, you're going to be asked to do a lot, not always compensated for it all. Um, and what, what are your boundaries? And I speak to them about that too. I say, well, what are your boundaries? What are you willing to give up in terms of self-care? Are you willing to give up anything? How do you protect your space and your time? And I think that's really important going into this business and going into life. Wonderful. Um, I, I just think fondly of every voice teacher I've ever had. It's like voice teacher, therapist, um, you know, friend. It's like, there's so much, There's that, that relationship is just so special. Um, I'd love to turn the corner into talking about new musicals, right? Um, at one point in life, Beauty and the Beast, Early Modern Millie, they were new musicals. They are now deep in the canon of, of musicals that that I love and, and appreciate. Um, and and um, so your experience in new musicals, I, I'm just sort of drawing that line, has been long and deep. Um, and I'm curious if you can um, give us your uh, your thoughts on new musicals and then talk about the program um, that, that we're looking at in uh, Musical Theater Educators Alliance. 
Sure. Yes, I mean, it's it's fun to think of it that way, right? That every musical starts as a new musical at some point, even the ones, even like Beauty and the Beast. And um, I, I wasn't hired for the Houston tryout. I was hired when they came back to New York and they hired a few extra swings. Um, but I was still in previews with the show and I watched every night as they made changes. Um, and with Millie, the same thing. I also wasn't there for the out of town tryout. I was hired when they came back to New York, but there are a lot of changes in the preview period to Millie. So watching, watching those changes and why and how it happened. And I mean, it, it's just, it's totally fascinating and fun. Um, how a musical works is, I mean, that's the hardest thing, right? How to get a musical to work when it, when it's happening and it's uh, the book is so tricky um, often and how it all integrates. And sometimes it's hard to sort of put our finger on like what, what makes this work and what doesn't. Um, so I also am a lyricist, as you said. And so I went through the BMI workshop, um, which for our listeners that don't know, it's a program offered by BMI. Um, and it's called the Lehman Engel Musical Theater Writers Workshop. And you have to apply and audition for it as a writer. You either apply as a lyricist or a composer. I'm not sure if you can apply as, a, as one. But anyway, if you're accepted, you sort of go in as a cohort and then you're given free classes. It's, it's free if you're accepted. And so you meet once a week um, with your class and you're paired throughout the first year on assignments and you learn how to collaborate with other people. And then there's a second year and then an advanced workshop but just getting that side of the craft and learning learning those skills um, as a lyricist has been invaluable to how I see work, but also how I teach it. Um, and so I think I'm getting off track with the question, but it's all integrated, right? I mean, I, it's obvious that I love musicals and I love musical theater, clearly, as I'm in all parts of it. Um, my husband used to say, likes to say, I took my hobby, which was making up funny lyrics in the dressing room. And then I turned it into another career because <laughs> I loved it so much and went through BMI and I've had some success as, as a lyricist. Um, so then when I was at Michigan State, they had already started a new works program and it's called Imagine and it's a wonderful program. And I was, it was one of my jobs when I was there to help facilitate the program. And it was just such a perfect fit because I was like, I'm an educator and we're doing this for our students and yet I'm a writer. And so I was able to sort of view the submissions with the writer's eye and also think about what do writers need, right? So, um, so one of the, the ways that we have launched this, um, the reasons for this idea of the new works collaboration catalog that we're doing through MTEA is started with me being at Michigan State and reviewing 90 submissions one year, right? Not the full thing, but I read the first 30 pages and the first three songs of everything to whittle down with my team to one that we were going to produce. And I got to the end of the process and I thought, there's so much great work out there. And yet we as an institution can only produce one. There's gotta be a way to share all this. I mean, work that I've just done, but all this in an easier way <laughs> so that not everybody at every institution has to go through this process. And also, so not every writer has to submit to hundred institutions. 
that are having new works programs or find them. So that sort of um, started this idea. Who I then contacted Maddie, the current president of MTEA, and he said, "Wow, this is a this is a great idea. Let's let's see what we can do." Stephen Gross, at the same time, was having a similar idea, and so then Maddie connected Stephen and I, and that's how we started cooking up this idea, which is amazingly coming to fruition. It's it's just thrilling. So the idea is is that writers are submitting right now through our submission process to a, a catalog, to have their show in a catalog. It's totally free, it's international, and everybody gets in. So there actually is no selection process because as long as you abide by the MTEA bylaws, um, excuse me, code of mission statement and code of ethics, then you will be placed in the catalog. So there is a review process, um, but we are not, we're not reviewing for who's the best? What do we think is the best, right? We're not curating in that way. And then this catalog will be available to our members at institutions and other educational organizations who are searching for new work to either produce as a stage reading or a production or perhaps even use in their classrooms. And they will now be able to go to the catalog. The best part about it is it's gonna be filt filterable, is that a word? able to be filtered. So if you're looking for a cast of, you can filter by uh, cast size, um, uh, by um, content, um, I, I'm forgetting all the million things, but we have all these different filters. And um, so you can do it, you can search and then find exactly what's gonna work for your organization. And then you can look at samples, and then the institutions would then contact the writers themselves. So at that point, MTEA steps out and we are just the facilitator of this. Um, so this is the first year. We don't quite know how it's gonna go, but I have a feeling it's hopefully gonna be hugely helpful to both writers and to uh, organizations. I know I'm gonna use it. We're starting a new works program at FSU. And so I can't wait to use it as we start our search in, uh, in February for our show. It is so exciting, and it was such a great idea. I cannot wait to see what happens with this. I think something that has not been valued in a lot of BFA musical theater training programs, at least the one that I came through, was working on material that was new because it's a totally different experience, and it's a skill that if you're good at, you're going to, as students, like when they graduate, you're going to get work. Um not to mention it's beneficial to the to the creators that are just looking for voices to breathe life into these characters and these songs. I, I just think it's great. I'm so excited. So is that New Works initiative, I mean, as you are the uh, president-elect and you will be stepping into this position on January 7th, obviously this is a huge part of your vision for the next uh, chapter of Musical Theater Educators Alliance. Um, but I'm curious, what it, what else are you looking forward to um, as as your mission in that leadership position of president? Because you are filling some some big shoes. Well, clearly, some... <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't take it lightly. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I don't come. I'm not coming into this position thinking this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to make MTEA. This is, 
I, I don't feel that way at all. Um, I'm really open to anything that's going to make our organization more effective and to fulfilling our mission statement. I mean, that's sort of the bottom line for me. Um, the other thing that's the most important and is the way that I, my, my teaching philosophy is that I'm here for the students first and foremost. I know in higher ed, there's a lot of other demands put on us. Um, the tenure requirements, if you're in a tenure track, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here for the students and their success in whatever that means. There's a lot of different versions of student success. So I feel as educators, because if we're here for the students, which is why we're in education, then we should be asking ourselves, what do we need to do to facilitate that? To, to, what can we do for the students? What do the students need? And I think that's what we're hopefully always asking ourselves. Um, and that includes our own research and creative activity, but I'm really interested in how can we best serve our students? And I think there's been so much change over the last three years um, that that's where we have to start. We've all seen a change in our students. We've seen a change in the industry. We've seen a change in the national landscape of how the industry operates. And so these are the sometimes very challenging, but really most important questions that we all should be discussing. And so then as an organization, what can we do? You know, I'm not, whether they're new initiatives or not, or it's just like a re-examining of how we want to act as an organization and what we, where we want to put our efforts, because as we're all volunteers here, we, that is something we have to think about as well. Um, but that's where I'm going to start. That is awesome. I do want to um, put a little plug. I mean, I think that our, our uh, listeners are pretty niche. This podcast is pretty niche, but I, I have had, um, I had the weird experience of a parent coming to see a show, coming to see their daughter in a show, say that they listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh, this is also for parents of students that I'm currently educating. That was weird. Um, but I just want to put a little plug into um, just to discuss a little bit about the upcoming conference, which is taking place in January, January 4th, 5th, and 6th. Um, it is going to be at Open Jar Studios uh, in New York City. And um, we have quite the lineup of educators um, and um, folks, experts from various areas coming in um, from across the country to share what they know and what they've learned um, and their research. Uh, we'll also have some performances and, um, you know, the my favorite part about the conference experience as the vice president of conferences for MTEA um, is that it truly is an opportunity. Like, I love the stuff that we're, you know, as a, as an educator, I love being a student. So I love learning new things, but um, I love the, the coffee table. I love like actually having conversations with folks that I've only up until this point seen on a zoom or have heard about. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to actually physically being together. Um, and then specifically, uh, so that registration is open. We'll make sure we have all of those links in there for you. Um, but the theme this year, moving the line, discovering generation MT, the, the thought behind it was, you know, we, we sit in a world where we might all come from different generations, teaching the next generation, the generation beyond that. And the, the connective tissue, that line that really connects all of us, 
um, in this space is through musical theater. So um, I just thought, well, maybe there is a, a, a way to think of it like a um, an archaeologist, right, discovering something that that is there and kind of underneath uh, some dirt and change and um, and rather thinking about thinking about how we are on this continuum of musical theater rather than on um, needing or that anxiety that comes with finding something new every time. Like we are here, we're in a space, let's listen to each other and be with each other. Um, and then I just wanna mention that that third day typically becomes the um, acting, singing, dancing day, right? So those kind of divide up into different spaces. I'm, I'm tossing this to both of you to also kind of hear your thoughts and hear what you might be excited about um, and or what aspects of a conference in general might be something that would be appealing to folks. Sure, I I'm, I'm cannot wait. I haven't been to a conference in person yet. I know that can't be real. That it seriously, it is. It oh, is. Yes. Wow. So I can't wait to meet in person all these people that I've been communicating with, um, who I feel like are now my colleagues over the past two years. Um, you know, it's so it's like old home week sometimes too. In that you know, I sort of grew up performing with so many of these people in New York, and now. So many of us are educators in different places. So that's just delightful. Um, but I always come away from the conference just thrilled and excited, new ideas, different ideas, different ways of thinking about things. I mean, um, you know, the collective minds that are in our organization are just incredible. And um, also, the, we have such a huge, diverse um, skill set, tool set that we all bring. And even though there's acting, singing, dancing, you know, there's still there's crossover and there's other other things that we educate our students about in musical theater programs too. So um, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to be in person. I can't wait to see what's all on the lineup. Thrilled. I know I'm pumped. I um, I'm growth mindset person and so like I always feel like I lead the conference the MTEA conference a better teacher because I, I get ideas that I immediately bring back um, and you know we say this a lot on this podcast but to to create this community of sharing where um, I mean every little program every program is a little different but I I know that I feel here at Chico State I'm super proud of who we are and what we do, but I'm like the musical theater guy, right? We've got a lot of experts that definitely touch the musical theater program, but I'm the one that is sort of, you know, just the musical theater person. And so I love about MTEA and the yearly conference developing relationships with colleagues at other universities that I can um, continue the conversation with beyond the conference. I mean, Kikau, you and I would not be friends if it wasn't for MTEA. And now I consider you one of my closest friends. And, you know, when something comes up at, at the university uh, here, I have people like you, uh, and, and I'm not going to list all of the people, but like a lot of people now that I can shoot a text and be like, Hey, are you dealing with this? What, what are you, what, how are you responding? Um, and so, 
it really is the community that is the most important thing to me. And, and the fact that we haven't been together uh, in since pre-COVID, um, I, I just, I can't even believe it. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I know the lineup that you've assembled. Uh, I can't wait to see you on the night of January 6th when it's all done. And you're like, bye, my term, my term is over. Because uh, yeah. you have the last... It's the last two years yeah, you have worked been, so hard. It's been wonderful. I love it. But I do, I do <laughs> need to take a little break from this, this side of the table. Like I'm actually really looking forward to jumping back in as a member, you know, um, applying to or submitting to present something. I, I think I'm looking for that balance um, because you, yeah, lot, lots of different hats this year for me. <laughs> um, great. Elisa, you know, we, uh, as you were thinking about these topics, right? The, the things that you're experiencing at your own school, those things that are outside the lines of acting, singing and dancing. Is there anything that you're, any theme or thing that you're thinking about with um, this current generation of performers? Is there anything that's bouncing up to the top of your list in Florida? Hmm. It's a good question. I feel like there are things every day that I think about um, and I make these little mental lists about. I think it's, for me, it's the constant trying to un put myself in their shoes and in their experience of how they've gone through life, how they've gone through the past three years, how they consume um, their musical theater information, which is so different from how I consumed mine when I was their age. I mean, without giving away my age, I got my music. I would go to the library in the basement of the music library in Cincinnati and just comb through the stacks and couldn't even listen to it all, right? You couldn't just pull it up on my phone and listen to it. I had to, I remember opening the book, the score, just sort of reading it down, like kind of trying to sing it in my head and thinking, oh, this might be a good song for me. I'll check this. <laughs> um, you know, no internet websites to purchase the sheet music. I mean, sometimes I would even write or call, I would call up a composer's office and ask if they could send me the sheet music because I was a student in college and they would like big composers, right? That I couldn't get the sheet music to. So just the way that they consume and the way they find material, I think about that a lot because as a voice teacher, you know, we're constantly going through repertoire and what do you need for your juries and auditions and, and sort of finding. And, and now anybody can put their sheet music or a video of their song online, right? And so suddenly that's an existing song in the canon when it hasn't gone through the process like it would 40 years ago of having to have been in a show, have gone through rewrites, have been tested out on somebody's vocal range, have right then been published, then made a recording. I mean, it's great. It's amazing that new writers can get their stuff out there, but sometimes there's so much of it and it's not, um, it hasn't been gone, gone through any process or drafts. I mean, it could be a first draft, right? So, I think about that a lot, where they find their material, how they find their material. And I sort of, sometimes I assume too much. I assume, oh, they're gonna know all the musicals that I know, plus all the ones that they know, right? And that's not the case. Um, so there still is a lot of, 
I have to go then back to the basics on how do you go find material? I think about that a lot. I think Stephen Gross's resource, his musical theater songs website is amazing. Um, use it all the time. Got it for our institution right away. Um, so that's a big thing I think about a lot. Um, and I gotta say, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. just to no, jump no, in. Cause you're right. There's so much more information and so much more, so many more songs. And I still hear she loves me 12 times at every audition. I still hear perfect relationship 150 times. <laughs> like there's so much material, but there's still, there's a lot of them are still singing the same stuff. Uh, Grow for me, like, which is not even a great audition song. Like why are people still singing that for auditions? <laughs> Anyway, sorry, you were going to say something else that was on your mind, but I as I couldn't help but think that because I've been in auditions a lot lately. And so I'm I've been astonished. It's again the same, the same couple of songs. It definitely is. It definitely is. And most of those songs that we hear over and over again, they're great. So I don't mind hearing them, right? Um, but there are there are other ones to explore for sure. Um I think I was also thinking, I mean, the other big thing is. The, the, diff, the more difficult topics that I think about, uh, right? Um, what students want, what they want in a program is different. The things they ask for, the things they feel um, uh, they can ask for, which is wonderful, but sometimes the faculty aren't trained or equipped or have the resources to be able to give them those things. Um, uh, mental health resources, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion resources, things like that, um, that I think about a lot. How do we, and it's not just about keeping people happy, you know, it's, I mean, that's one part of it. You want your students to be happy, but you want a program where people are thriving, um, and they can do the work when they step into the classroom, right? And so if there are keep, if there are things keeping them from doing their best work, those are things I think about. And it's more, it's more out, those topics weren't talked about when we were, at least when I was in school, you just, you just love that outside the room, right? We had to deal with it on our own. So it's great that these conversations are happening, but it's also a, a whole added element for us as educators that I don't always feel trained and equipped to handle. So luckily my university has resources, right? But it's still, and, and I think I think we're going to see. I think some of those things at the conference too, right? About yeah, these these new things that are brought up in our classrooms and what what we have to. I don't want to say deal with because that's not just the things that come in front of us every day. Yeah, it is a lot different than than what Aubrey Berg, chair of musical theater at Cincinnati, was dealing with when I was a student twenty five years ago. Um, so. Thank you so much. I We always end our podcast with a recommendation from our guest. Uh, it could be any kind of resource, any kind of recommendation. Um, I'm curious, Elisa, if you have brought a recommendation for our listeners today. Now, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about the conference and MTEA. Uh, we've talked about the, the new works initiative. So there's recommend we've got recommendations coming out our ears. But is there anything else you would like to recommend to our listeners? There is, there's an app that I love and it's called the Sounds or maybe just Sounds of Broadway. And it's a streaming Broadway station of sorts. 
but it's not, but unlike Spotify radio, it's curated by a person. And oh, if I'm, I don't have his name handy, but um, he curates these wonderful lists and it goes 24 hours a day. And sometimes he has different themes of, of playlists. It's a free app. And I am still the musical theater kid at heart. And I love listening to musical theater while I do the dishes <laughs> or garden. And, uh, and so I love this app because I'll hear new things I've never heard before. I'll hear little off-Broadway things, London musicals, um, things that are current. So if you haven't listened to it, um, that'd be my recommendation. Sounds of Broadway. Dude, I just downloaded it. It was quick, a quick and easy download. I had never, yeah. Kikau, did you know about this? No, I'm I'm literally like Googled it and then was there's a whole list. And I was trying to find the name of the person just so we can give them. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm sure we can find it. I just thought, you know, their name has to be somewhere. But that's amazing. Uh, yeah, Stuart Brown. Stuart Brown. Stuart. Yeah, it's it's actually cool. I'm I, look at that. You learn something new. Sounds of Broadway. <laughs> Thank you so much. Amazing. This is so great. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, I can imagine um, during your time as president of MTEA and even beyond that we will be uh, inviting you back on uh, to talk and check in with you to see how things are going um, and to hear a little bit more about um, right the next steps of the new musical initiatives that you are, are putting forward. Yes, I, I would love that. I can't wait um, to see where it goes. And I'm a big fan of your podcast. So it's it's so much fun to be on it. Um, I like to consume all things musical theater. And this, this, this is a great one. It's such a great resource for educators, musical theater enthusiasts. I mean, it's wonderful. You guys do such great work. Appreciate Thank it. You. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.